It's that sound. It's Friday. And that can only mean one thing. It is time for the second Stedman History Podcast of the week. Wow, 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 wow. Whoa. What a week it's been. Hope you really enjoyed listening to the Danny Watts podcast earlier this week. Just talking about how inspiring it is to pick up an instrument and just get started. And we're going to continue on that same vein with our special guest today. The one, the only, the punk rock icon matt james davis is joining us on the podcast today and it's a birthday special it's his birthday today happy birthday matt we're going to be talking all about the following announcement we're going to be talking about tour life booking gigs playing in other countries touring around the world doing all that great stuff having a list and really achieving those dreams and believing that you can achieve more than you possibly set out to achieve when you're younger it's a really really interesting chat and yeah i think you're really going to enjoy it But we don't just talk about pop punk on the podcast. Oh, no. We talk about Matt's love for country music. We talk a little bit about Cher, a little bit about Johnny Cash. You can follow the following announcement on Instagram. You can also check out Rhodes and Prom Night on Spotify and Apple Music. And fingers crossed you'll be able to check them out at the Exchange Bristol on June the 18th. I think that it's time we go straight to the podcast. But before then, we're going to just have a little listen to some of the following announcement and a little bit of their music. Be sure to stick around at the end because we're going to play a track as usual because that is the score. If you enjoyed the podcast, please, please, please tell your friends. Tell them to subscribe and rate and all that kind of good stuff. Share on Instagram. You can follow me on Instagram at History Creator and you can follow me on Twitter at Alex Stedman. Enjoy the chat. Thank you. 
today with Matt James Davis on his birthday. Happy birthday, Matt. Thank you very much. Good morning. How are you doing today? Yeah, yeah. So far, so good. Had a little early morning walk, got myself a beer ready for this. So yeah, all good. That's good. Do you want to kind of introduce yourself, say who you are, what you do? God, that's deep, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I'm Matt James Davis. So I play bass guitar for um, a little band called The Following Announcement. Amazing. And uh, when did The Following Announcement start? Oh, uh, 2006. I think we were mucking around maybe in 2005, but 2006 is when TFA actually started. What kind of brought you together? What brought us together? Um, so when I was in high school, uh, and before anyone goes, you're not American, it was high school for me. Um, and when I was in high school, um, I was in a band called No Exit. Um, and it was in a time where, you know, like everywhere, like everyone's in a band now. Um, it was before those times. It was, it was when kind of like bands were few and far between the small ones anyway. So um, I was doing that for probably about a year. Um, and then I got into another band called Something Similar. Um, and that was the first band I really started doing like proper recordings with and stuff. Um, so I was mucking around with that. We had kind of like an Atari's punk rock kind of sound. And then when high school finished... Um, everyone kind of just went their separate ways, I think, really. I just remember being kind of sat home. I think I, I had a job at Asda at the time. And Simon, the singer from the finance one, also worked in Asda. But I knew him kind of briefly from school. Um, but we weren't really friends or anything. And yeah, I think, uh, I don't know, I can't, I can't remember how it actually happened. All I remember, I actually remember the day that it started, which is weird. Oh, nice. Um, I... I went around his house um, and we started recording, well, I started singing in um, Roads and Prom Night, which are the two songs that we, funny enough, released 15 years later in, in March this year or last year. So, yeah, I remember that day, but I don't remember how we actually got to that day. I do remember getting like a really nice, like, I think it was phone call or probably MSN back then from from Cy. And it was like, um, oh, I, I love what you do um you know with a band and i'd really like to be in a band with you um and i was a bit shocked by that because simon bright for anyone that knows him is one of the types of people um one of those annoying types that are good at everything uh you get these people that just they can just naturally do anything and that is simon so when he picks up a guitar he was naturally great where i have to work my ass off just to be okay on bass guitar um my entire life my entire like 15 or 18 odd years doing music I have to work hard every day for it to even sound okay. But Simon kind of picks up a guitar and it's like, yeah, sounds sounds great. And um, yeah, so it was really nice to get like something for that, like that from him because I know, you know, he's a talented bloke kind of on his own anyway. Um, so yeah, we just kind of got chatting and stuff. And then I went around and we, I think literally day one, two, maybe three, we had roads um, kind of nailed down, not too far off what it sounds like now um and we started writing prom night oh wow so they were like the first two songs that you made that's incredible 
yeah, literally the first two songs we ever come up with. Um, and then it's it's weird how how we've only just released them because we obviously we went on recorded two albums and some singles and some things like later on down the line, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But um, Roads and Prom Night, we just I think we tried recording them a few times. It just never felt right. Um, but they, they sounded great live. And I don't know, we just went back and forth on them for years. And then I think it was literally towards the end of 2019, we were like, let's just record them again and see what happens now. And literally, they came out perfect. Yeah, they sound really good. Really good. So did you, was bass like your first instrument that you picked up? Or did you want to play guitar? I just wanted to be, um, I just wanted to play some sort of instrument that would appeal to women (laughs) um i was a kid i you know i was not cool um i was not um i was not like athletic or anything like that and i think um you i've become kind of like sort of look like an it nerd but kind of one of those types that just drawn to like video games and and things like that or you become um like a you're into your sport or the kind of the middle probably there as a musician maybe for me anyway and um and yeah my I had a friend who bought a guitar or got a guitar for Christmas or something one year um he never really he never really played it and I used to go around his house and kind of play his guitar a little bit um and then I was like let's join a band let's make a band and um I remember going out wanting to get a guitar but having no real clue um at that point, really, what I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but what a guitar really was. So okay. I, I, mean, I knew what it was, but like I went out and then started looking at the basses and was like, you know, just thinking, oh, it's just another guitar with less strings, which I, I know in theory it kind of is, but um, thinking it was just going to sound the same or similar. So I just remember thinking I like the look of those better than whatever the other ones were in the shop. It sounds ridiculous. Um, and then, yeah, came. Uh, bought one uh, and came back with it and and then suddenly said oh yeah that's a bass guitar <laughs> this sounds so ridiculous <laughs> um, but you know we were, yeah, we were I must have been about 14 or something yeah oh it's a bass guitar and then next thing you know I said oh yeah yeah I play bass yeah that's exactly what I was uh, intending to do <laughs> okay, one of those. I always meant to play bass that was that was the instrument so you're really into pop punk what are some of your uh, favorite pop punk bands Oh my god! Um, I love pop punk for so many different reasons, um, and I think you know, you know, our friend group take the piss at me sometimes because I'm kind of like you're 34 now, Matt. You should probably listen to something um, with a bit more um, boringness to it, as I'm going to put it. <laughs> um, but no, I, I love all types of music, but pop punk is is definitely the one. I just love the storytelling of it. I really like kind of the the opposite to that is. Is in, in a way it's like country music and I really love country music and it's for exactly the same reason um, is that it is like a storytelling um, whereas pop punk is mostly about kind of like she broke my heart and slept with my best friend whereas country is more about she broke my heart and I went on a road trip um, and, and and that's the only real difference to me like in them apart from maybe tempo um, and yeah and, uh, and so oh I don't know the Ataris were probably um, one of the first real pop punk bands I got into um love Green Day obviously they're more like punk rocky but the Green Day will we'll, I remember getting my sister's Nimrod CD um I think I just saw the cover and thought that's like a really cool cover I'm gonna check out this this album um and she only bought it for uh Time of Your Life 
um oh yeah the song at the time and to show she was like i love the song but the rest of it you know it's like platypus and other songs on there which are not anything i mean she was listening to backstreet boys so um it wasn't her kind of music at all but she'd bought it for that and i just remember seeing that room um and just being so into that album yeah the, like i said the ataris and new fan glory were probably one of my favorite um, bands and they still are uh, one of my favorite bands. There's something about the self-titled album and Sticks and Stones. Um, I think for so many bands, actually, even ones that aren't pop punk, like that album or those albums, um, really kind of brought with Pink Ray Two and things like that. Really brought um, pop punk punk back. Really, that's good. And so you talk about like road trips, and that is one of your kind of things that you love to do. And in I mean, we're jumping forward a little bit, and I didn't mean to jump this much, but we're going to. In 2008, you booked a tour in Florida, in America. How did that come about? What happened? Uh, Joe, that was an amazing time for, in, in my mind, an amazing time for the industry. Um, not because I'd book a tour, but just because <laughs> of how um, yeah, Matt's done it. Um, no, just how um, easy and accessible everything was then like we think it is now but now it's more like finely tuned so like back then myspace was the big the big kind of platform for for your music um but yeah so my myspace was the big platform and we um and i just thought oh i really i would i was booking shows for the band anyway i've always kind of booked the majority of our shows and i was like do you know what i'm just gonna see if somebody gets like i really want to go on holiday i really want to go to america um i'd been there as a kid but i really wanted to go back and um, let's just see if someone gets back to me. And I and I emailed, um, well, Facebook or Facebook message. Oh, sorry, MySpace message. Um, a load of people in Florida, and I thought I'm just going to stick with Florida because you know it's how big America is. Um, I'm going to go crazy. I was like, I stick to Florida because I know we want to go to Disneyland. Simon's like the biggest Disney fan ever. Um, so let's stick to Florida and see what happens. And I emailed a load of places, and so many got back and that would never happen now you know if you go on Facebook bands get this problem all the time now if you go on Facebook or even by email website to to venues and promoters now they're so busy and so inundated that a lot of the time they can't get back to you whereas um I don't know what it was back then maybe it was just because you know the whole internet and accessibility was just kind of kicking in for bands um that promoters perhaps you know weren't so inundated with constant messages from everybody trying to do what I was doing so um so yeah no that's how it kind of came about and I just remember quite a lot come back to me um and I think originally we had like five shows but we shut down on last week and he said we played two I thought we played three um but either way um I remember we didn't go to one because someone just got shot like outside the venue yeah um and then there was um Oh God, what was this? There's a couple of others, but we did play the ones I wanted to play, but I really wanted to play, we played, which was, which Gainesville. Um, so I'm a massive Less Than Jake fan. Um, and to know they were from that area and were kind of playing there um, was just a dream for me. Um, and yeah, no, it's just, it was an awesome tour, an awesome time. And I think if we tried to book that now, just through, through like Facebook, um, it would never happen. I think you now need to really have like a promoter and like a good couple of, you know, albums behind you to really get anywhere with, we're trying to book a tour in a foreign country anyway. Um, Were there any plans to go back? I think we really wanted to always go back. And I think we wanted to play other countries as well. And I know Dan has a bit with his other projects, 
But I think for us, kind of the whole like real busy period, which is like 2008 to 2011, probably, um, we were just kind of concentrating on the UK and trying and trying to get as many shows as possible. And we did a lot of tours. And again, we booked all those ourselves and on a couple we joined other bands and you know a couple we were on our own um i think we just spent all our time kind of dedicated to that um and to be honest like on my list of things i want to achieve um i never had any ambition as such to to like crack a foreign country i just wanted to play music in the uk well i was happy to play it like at the village hall five minutes from my house uh and then people come along check it out like it job done like i i never had any real ambition to you know try and crack the world i just wanted people to like our music <laughs> cool <laughs> no i like that so to go back all the way to that first day when you wrote prom night and roads what happened next because so there's you and simon bright and two people two great musicians but you're going to need more people in the band aren't you because you're going to need like a drum beat and you're going to need an extra guitar. What happened next? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, uh, we, I can't remember how, so we had a, our original drummer was uh, a guy called Ben. Um, and he was a fantastic bloke, great drummer. Um, and he, I don't know how we ever got in the band. I don't even remember how we really met Ben because he wasn't from a school or anything. I think he just kind of appeared one day and then he never left. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, so he joined the band, and um, then we had a second guitarist as well called Adam that um, that was in the band. So we were going as a four-piece for a while. And yeah, we did one album um, with the four of us, and uh, the Art of Conversation, so that's the one that's that's not available um, anywhere. And I think there's a version of Prom Night on that, actually, thinking about it. And yeah, we that was until 2000, and so that was... 2006 to 2007 and then maybe early 2008 we changed drummers um and then we changed and then um one of the guitarists left and then we um we went as a free piece i think for a while i remember going with simon to um see if we could kind of recruit uh another guitarist and <laughs> means i'm laugh at all the time because i was always dead serious so we would um we'd find all these guitarists from from wherever and we'd go along to the house or or a or, or village hall or something uh, and we kind of like interview them when Simon was just there as like a regular person being like oh yeah you know what music you into like you know you know tell us about yourself and and I was like Simon Cowell dead serious like play us a song I want to hear that again uh twice the uh <laughs> tries the tempo uh and I don't know what came over me um I just thought I was like big time or something but um yeah so I remember doing that probably I think we moved maybe still like five ten different people um and we just didn't click I guess with with anybody um we did do a show a couple of years later and, and had a, like a guest guitarist and that it felt great but but in terms of kind of every day as a band I think the three of us just worked so it's like we didn't really need anyone else and we kind of just made that sound work you know and, and my, my favorite bands normally didn't have a second guitarist anyway um and I think I just thought you know what like if they're doing that and they just you know they can do shows about them or do shows with a with like a guest then um then why can't we and so that was it. We just became a free piece. Yeah. I mean, it sounds great. Yeah. You don't kind of need that extra guitarist to kind of add the sound. Do you remember your very first 
TFA gig. Yeah, pretty, yeah, this was the first, wasn't it? Yeah. So yeah, first gig was weird. So we played Thunderworld um, theme park, which if you don't know is a, is a mobile theme park that kind of travels the UK. Um, so it's kind of like a, a mobile Orton Towers, much smaller scale. We I can't remember how we got that show. I think it might have been through MySpace as well. And we had to go on and play at like 10 a.m. or something, maybe 11, 10, 11 a.m. And then we had to go back and play at five. Um, and I think we had like five songs. So we just played the same set kind of both times. Um, and that was our first show. We got picked up by Brett, who's Simon's one of Simon's brothers. Um, in this kind of Bedford rascal, which, you know, the really small vans, chucked all the stuff in there. It only had two seats. So like, I think me and Ben, the drummer, were um, just crammed in the back um, and kind of like off we went to this gig in this Scooby-Doo van. Um, and yeah, no, it was um, a great show. I, I, wow, it probably is better in my mind than it actually was. But um, in my head, it was it was perfect. <laughs> did you know straight away that that was kind of what you were going to do is that you were going to play lots of gigs and you mentioned about touring as well was touring something that was always the plan because a lot of bands around that time in Bristol really didn't tour and would only kind of just work that sort of local circuit whereas you've always gone off on tour what was your first tour uh, I had a list of I've had a list at a very young age of things like I want to achieve um, most of them by the time I was like 25 or 30. Uh, and when I look back on this now, I think, oh, I probably should have aimed a bit higher. But then I think actually at the same time, I'm really grateful um, of being able to do some of that because some people just haven't. So all I wanted to do was record a song. It didn't even have to be an album, just a one song um, that I could just play back to anybody that would want to listen to it. And I was just thinking friends and family. Um, and I just want to play a show where... Um, there's at least one or two people um, at the front watching us that aren't kind of like friends and family that are like some stranger that that's heard of us. And I've never, you know, I don't even know who they are sort of thing. And um, that was like, when, that's all I wanted. Like, and, and when that kind of happened the first time, um, which was before, you know, TFA, it was with my old bands. I was like, oh, like I've, I've achieved my my goals up to 25 now. Like, <laughs> what do I do now? Um, so I thought about up the game a little bit. And 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 yeah, and I was like, well, I, I really like doing this. I really like playing music. Um, you know, it's the, the gigs are great and you you get to play with your best friends every day and hang around with your best friends every day. And I think um, like there's no other job like that, is there, where you, you are literally like, and you're encouraged almost to, be a little bit crazy or wild or whatever just because you know you're in that moment having so much fun it's like being on like a constant high without any drug um and yeah and i think once we played a few shows like i once tfa had kind of played, played a few shows and people starting to get to know us i was like this is really good let's see if we can like just get more shows uh and then you know let's see if we can get a tour and then let's see if we can do this let's do that and then and it just kind of happened and we um, really gratefully, we 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 had a load of bands kind of around us that supported us as well, and we um, yeah we kind of just went off on tour. And I can't remember the first UK tour. We definitely did the tour for the 2007 Art of Conversation um, EP uh, album, and that was probably about ten dates. And I think we kind of went to we went to Manchester. Baron Finesse, which we ended up going back to hundreds of times, really. And um, 
Uh, where else did we go? From London was another one. And yeah, we just, I just went from there really. And then the 2008 tour with this In Secret Places album um, kind of just went more and more shows again. Um, and then we started to get interest from like the O2 academies, in particular Bristol, obviously being our hometown. Um, and they just went from there. So yeah, the original plan was never like to tour. No, it wasn't to do anything. It was just to make music in the garage. But um, But it just went on and it was great. Do you have any advice for anyone booking a tour? You said that it was different back then with MySpace and everything. But once you played the gig, was there a lot of work to kind of follow up on that gig to get people interested and that promotion? Was it almost like a full-time job doing it or was it a little bit easier than that? Yeah, John, I think if any band thinks they can just pick up the phone, book a gig, um, go along and everyone's going to turn up and love you, um, you're sadly mistaken. I wish that was the case. Uh, and, I, and I think... I think you, um, the first thing to do in my mind, especially daily, this becomes more and more important, I think now, is that remember that you are dealing with people. So um, I think, you know, there's some like sites out there that offer like really easy ways to contact a hundred venues all at once uh, and go, hey, we're band one tour, we want to come to your hometown. But obviously deliberately not putting in that town because you're sending a bulk message. Um, and maybe that works for some bands. That's great if it does. But for me, I'd rather spend um, eight, nine, 10 hours in a day emailing five, 10, 15, 20 venues and be personal in each one of them. So find out the name of the person running the gigs, find out the, you know, who owns the bar, kind of capacity levels, what kind of vibe they've got, what nights you think might suit. So they might have like a punk rock Tuesday night. So you want to be saying to them, look, can I join you on the Tuesday? You don't want to be saying, hey, can I have any night of the week? Because you don't want to go there on Friday when it's when it's like a disco. Um, <laughs> you know, and we and we had that once actually with a, a gig we did in Swindon where it was we were playing upstairs or downstairs and on the opposite floor was um was a was like a drum and bass night or something similar um and we it was terrible um because all the people there were not there because of us so i think that that's my key thing would be like be individual and actually talk like a human being to venues promoters blah 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 and then get that gig and then and then getting the fans there i mean god i mean what do you do like you you know people now throw a lot of money into um like Facebook campaigns or, or or that kind of stuff, and there's definitely 100% a place for a place for that. Um, it's kind of sad in a way that you've got to kind of spend money, which you're not going to have a lot of when you're in a band starting off. Um, but it is a great tool to kind of easily grab some people's attention if you've got some if you've got some good content anyway. Uh, and but there's also a place for again does that personal touch. So like you know Facebook forums. Um, or community groups, I say, where you know there's there's like a pop punk one, for example, that that even TFA we use to this day. We just go on there and you can say, hey, look, we got a new track out, fancy checking it out. And if they dig your vibe, they will share that. Um, so I think in a way, it's easier than ever to 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 get to fans and you know and try and get that connection. But at the same time, it's harder because so many more people are doing that, and that 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 pool of bands that you can listen to now is huge and growing like every single day and it was growing when like I started out when I was like 15 but but now it's 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 a monster and it's so easy to find a band but at the same time it's really hard to find like your band so um yeah I think just be really personal be like really open and honest about what you're trying to do don't be a robot um and hope for the best
<laughs> yeah, no, because they're right. You're right. There's so many bands out there, and I download loads of like new songs or songs pop up, and I listen to them. But then it's like retaining that and remembering them and not forgetting and being like, that was a great random three minute song I listened to, and yeah. kind of going from there. I wanted to speak about when Danny Watts joined TFA and with the whole when you first saw him and said, oh, you you put on weight. I want to talk about that when he shaved his head, which he brought up on the podcast the other day. Yeah, he watched the podcast. Yeah, he reminded me of that. And uh, <laughs> I don't know what was going through my head. So um, I had seen Dan play uh, with you, actually, hadn't I, with, uh, with Soppy Joe um, uh, a fair few times. And I think maybe there was a gig that we, we played together um, as well, or a couple of gigs, actually. you know, you know, as well as I do, like Dan, is an amazing drummer like and and it's not for me like dan's gift isn't that he's a great drummer drummer um and i guess this goes hand in hand with it but it's that he's so flipping dedicated like you know if you if i said to dan like let's say we were a new song today and um you know and tomorrow we had to go and play it in front of like a thousand people um and then you know, me and him were sat home, we're learning the song. And let's say you gave me a call and said, Matt, do you fancy a drink? I'd be there. I'd be literally throw the bass down, out the door, off I go, see you tomorrow, Dan, it will be fine. <laughs> um, whereas dad will, you know, he will sit there and he will not move until he has got that perfect. And I flipping admire him for that um, because I, you know, I, I see something like see like a shiny light and I'm gone and <laughs> and um but he's he's just been great so yeah I, I remember seeing him play and we needed a new drummer and um, we had a gig literally coming up like a week maybe two weeks later on I just remember getting in touch with him and going like I'll pop over so I popped over to his house and yeah he opened the door and he, he'd shaved his head and um I don't know maybe I was nervous or something but I I just like, oh, you've you definitely put on weight there, Dan. Um, <laughs> maybe he had put on weight, you know, we'll never know. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, and then we went to the pub, we chatted about it. And funny enough, I, I remember that first rehearsal with him. I mean, I've always loved drums. I'm sidetracking here, but I always loved drums. And there's, in my teens playing music, there's been two occasions that I remember where I had a moment where I just think in my head going, flipping how this is great i love this and those two moments have not been moments that i've achieved they've been moments that the drummer i've been next to has achieved so i remember being in my garage um when i first started playing music um with my first drummer in my first band um called chris challen great bloke and i told him to go away and learn um in this diary by the ataris and i just remember uh, him coming back and i started to play the song we were getting it wrong we weren't getting to the end of the song and and stuff and um I remember we suddenly got to the last chorus and the last chorus, the drums kind of changed a bit. Um, and it was kind of like, I think it was sort of like, dun, 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 like that. Yeah. And I, um, and I just remember him hitting that double dun, dun and that triggered in my brain, um, you know, that's exactly how the CD, that's exactly how the CD sounds. Um, and just having like, this is amazing. I love this. I love doing this. Like I've made it sound like the CD. And then that's what happened then. And that happened with Dan as well. Um, and I remember that happened in the day, the first rehearsal we had with him um, when he was obviously playing Ben's stuff, our old drummer stuff. And then he, and he, he probably, it was probably the day after, like I'd had the conversation with him about being in the band, it, a day or two after maybe. He came in 
and he played the song, uh, Rhodes, I think it was at the time, actually. Um, he played the song as if he was Ben, as in, you know, it was exactly right. There was, it was perfect. And I thought, flipping hammock, I've only just had that conversation with you. I mm-hmm. still even know how to play this song, and I wrote it like five years ago. <laughs> um, and, um, and yeah, and I remember him hit, and there's, you know, the, you, you know, you know the, the rhythm of the song, and there was the moments, you know, where there's a, I don't know, there's a, a fill or something. He, he had it perfect. And I just remember turning around at that point as well and going, oh my God, like it sounds like the CD. This is amazing. This is great. And then, yeah, that was the start of Danny. You nailed the gig. Um, and and that was it. We, we kind of went to Florida like shortly after that. So yeah, it was great. Yeah, it all kind of happened really quickly, didn't it? Like from that gig to Florida to the next tours. And now we move on to the tour section of uh of the podcast and i've got uh written down here because you wanted to talk about it you said make sure you include that in your notes the drive home from playing glasgow and king tuts (laughs) so i remember um i think you talked about this with dan uh last week um where he well sorry where we um went on tour of a band called 2020 um in 2010 um and that was like the the biggest thing we had done um and it was amazing loved it um but then the reason i mention it is because it's, it's a it's a story that always comes up with like me si and dan um and i'm just not sure how we how it how it kind of happened so we had the gig i think it was manchester the night before um and we had we'd done that gig maybe not manchester we'd done the gig somewhere um, further south the night before and um we then traveled the next day up to Glasgow. Uh, and I think we got there probably about 5 p.m. Um, and when we got there, we we did the sound check probably about half five. And we I think we were on first as well. So it was like half five or something. And the doors opened early, as Dan was explaining last week, um, at probably about I don't know, six, 6.30. So we've done the sound. We've got there at like five. We've done the sound check at like 5.30. Doors are opening at six. Um, we're on at... 6.30 and we do the gig and we've always been one of those bands that have always like stuck around for all the other bands I think that's an important thing as well like you've got to stick around and check out those other bands as much as possible I know sometimes you've got to move but um and so the gig finished uh oh god 10 11 maybe and I just remember us un- like packing up um getting in the van and going oh yeah we we need to get back to um we need to get back to Bristol. I got got work at 6 a.m. Um and it was me and Simon had work at like six or six or seven or, or early anyway, like six or seven. And I just remember, and I used to drive all the time then for whatever reason. I just remember it not being a problem. I just remember it was like, yeah, we'd done the gig, we'd hang around, and then we'd um we'd get in the van and I drove all the way back to, to Bristol and, and and got back to Bristol at like six a.m. and and went and then started work. I just wow. don't remember how I do it. I remember going to like so service stations, as all bands we know, are fantastic, but also a nightmare because you can only stay there two hours unless you're paying. So, or one hour maybe, I think it might be, um, and and then you've got to pay. So I just remember all the way home, I was like almost falling asleep. So I would pull over at service station, set my alarm for half an hour, sleep uh, for that half an hour, and then get back in the van and drive to the next service station further down sleep a little bit and then the next conversation went sleep a little bit and did that all the way home and then went to work fresh as a daisy 
<laughs> and, um, and and went over my day. And I just remember that being a great story. But like a, uh, that just reminds you of like how committed we were at that point, and we were like whatever we needed to do to a earn some money so we could go back out on the road again, um, but b to be able to do a show. So, do you want to talk a little bit about the 2020 tour and what were some of some of your highlights and what you enjoyed so much about it? Yeah, the 2020 tour for me was um, I learned a lot from that tour. Um, obviously, we'd done a fair few tours before, as we were just talking about. Um, but that was the big one. We were supporting them um, five dates, I think it may have been. Um, Manchester, London, Bristol, uh, Glasgow. I can't remember. They were, Oxford, I think the place was. And they were just packed. Like, the shows were just packed out. And as Dan was saying, like we would be on early, but they would still be packed. I think it was maybe even the first show, and there's some like YouTube footage of this. Is we were playing Jenny, um, which was like our, our biggest song, and people were singing it back. Now, you know, some of them it was the first time I'd heard it. Some of them may have heard it before, but it was just I just remember that being like an amazing experience. And we we'd heard it before, people singing our songs back. We we used to get quite a lot with like BRB and things like that, but um, but this was the first time we'd heard it in kind of you know with with the the amount of voices that were in that room, at least. 500 people maybe up to a thousand at some some shows and yeah i just remember it being an amazing experience and I, and I learned a lot i also learned um the importance of merchandise um and that was your your money that was what you how you survived um and also you know that taught me kind of maybe the negative sides of the industry as well in some ways in terms of and we've discussed it many times where like a t-shirt is more valuable than your music cd like more people want your t-shirt than your music cd and you can charge way more um and things like that which i've which i've i've always struggled with because i I love t-shirts i'm flipping i i love a good band t-shirt but i always think well the only reason that exists is because of the money but they're exactly right like i wouldn't particularly spend 25 pound on a on a band cd but i would on their t-shirt um and it's just a that's just one of the bizarre things about the industry is but um but yeah, no, literally the, a great, great tour. We've done some really great one-off stuff, um, like Birmingham NEC and things like that. But that that whole tour was um, was great, and all the people were great. Um, and yeah, just it's a blur to be honest. Okay, so you had the 2020 tour, which went really well, and one of the really popular songs from that that you mentioned was Jenny. How did that come about, and can you remember recording it? Yeah, so, so Jenny's like my favourite song of, of TFA's back catalogue. Um, I've said it to the guys a million times, I've said it to everyone like that. It's just, for me, that's the perfect song um, that that we've written. How'd that come about? Um, we did like a short video of this on, on social media. Yeah, I think um, Simon kind of had this melody and then we, we got in... Um, got in the practice room and it kind of turned into a version of Jenny, um, which we then went in and recorded with Andy Baker, the same guy we recorded in Secret Places with. When we recorded it, maybe in 2009, maybe. Yeah, it would have been, maybe. And um, recorded it with him. And it was just another TFA song. Um, it was called, I think, at the same time, maybe as uh, Who's Keeping School. This is another TFA song. I didn't think it was anything special. I didn't think it was... Um, not saying that a song's that special. Um, didn't think it was anything special, just just another song. Um, and then I remember on MySpace actually getting a message from um, Dan and Kev Peters, who to me at that point, um, 
were two guys who were in a band called Anemic that won Sugar Shack Records. Um, and they were a band like I literally grew up like a door. And like I remember when Sugar Shack Records, which was a great record company, um, were on the scene, they were everywhere. So you would go, I'd go into like a, a shop in the galleries in Bristol um, and there'd be like a free Sugar Shack Records like release there um, where you could just take it for free. Um, just be on the counter, uh, and it, that I just saw that everywhere. And I remember getting uh, anemics, um, and um, and her and them, I'm thinking they were amazing. Anyway, and then we got this got this message from them. They'd opened uh, a studio called Anemic Studios in town in an old fire station, and um, yeah, we they said, look, we really like your song. Um, have a listen to this. And what they'd done is they recorded no vocals in it, but they recorded a version of them just kind of playing some guitar-y bits over the top and, um, and kind of restructuring it a little bit. Um, and then they were like, what, what do you think of that? Like, do you, would that interest you in kind of having that conversation about adapt, you know, us rewriting it or writing it again? Um, and um, yeah, we ended up in the studio and recorded that and Star-Crossed um, at separate times, but then. Um, and it was amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's such a good... It was such a great experience. There were just two guys that were that were dedicated to helping us find our like sound. And I think after that point, that really upped the game for like TFA. I think that like, we had in secret places and we had like our conversation and they were great. But but um but Jenny especially really like started that new sound, like our sound that we found our sound with that. Um so I'm really grateful for that, especially to work with them and we were like, you know, like heroes at the time. After this, after the 2020 tour which went so well. TFA called it a day. Yeah, well, yeah, I can't remember if we did officially. I think we did, didn't we? Yeah. Um, yeah, that was 100% down. That was my call um, at that point. And I think, I'm trying to think what I was in the moment. I, I know looking back what it was, but I think I, um, I'd reached a point where, you know, saying about that list of things I wanted to achieve, um, you know, I wanted to... Uh, play music and, and people like it I wanted to release an album and uh, and all that stuff and um, you know when you're like 15 16 17 18 like that that is all you want to be um, you know if even at, even at 22 23 24 I was like this is what I want to be like this is what I want to do for the rest of my life and I'm going to do whatever it takes to to do that but actually the struggle to do that is very hard um, because what you're kind of asking yourself to do is go out there and play shows every night. Don't actually earn any money, but you're earning you're earning those fans and that appreciation maybe um, every night. And then they then you need to go into the studio and you need to um, write, record, and it's got to be good. You've got to make it good, and then you got to release it, um, and then you got to go out and tour off the back of that. And then you need to pay riders, to, uh, pay for like, you know, to join other bigger tours so you, so you can get more fans. Um, and it's loads and loads of money flooding out the door. From the moment I was 15 and started, I was, you know, I was, um, it was just about flyers then, you know, printing some flyers at home. I had to go off and buy like 30 quid ink. I'm 15 years old. Like I haven't got 30 quid for ink. Um, and then, and, and. And that, so that was an aspect of it where I'd got to this point and we had, we'd got, we'd done the 2020 tour and we'd done in secret places and we released Jenny and Star Course, which to me were um, like some of the best things we ever did. Um, and I just reached this point where I was like, I don't know 
if I can or should even actually it's probably the word do this um, forever like this because obviously we're not we're not a big band so I'm having to work and do this um, I wouldn't be able to progress at work um, because it's sort of the higher up you get the less time off you get uh, the more responsibilities the more stress so when you mix that then in with the band as well um, it just becomes a hard thing so it was at a point where I was like I've done this since I was 15 like non-stop like maybe small to medium scale but I've not stopped doing this since I was 15 like I need to go out and see if I can actually achieve anything else uh, and also that self-doubt where you know hang on we've been going a while now like how come we're not massive um, and so it was like is this the right thing should I even be doing this am I wasting my time are we going to be um, you know am I going to be bankrupt basically and um spent all this money on the band and all this time on the band and uh and whatever and then nothing come of it and that's where the framework i was in looking back now um it's like well I, what are you talking about man? like you've achieved so much like what well, if i can say that i've achieved everything that i want to achieve then that is all that matters really um but looking back then i was just like i need some time to see like who i am basically kind of like I think I was a bit late to the whole like growing up bit and then um that's what pop punk does to you and um and yeah and, and yeah I just needed that time out um and I at the time I thought do you know what I need to just leave here and just concentrate on like life and see where that takes me and that's where we're at and I told the guys and I think it was a shock because I was always the one that that didn't ever want to give up like you know like I'm not saying they did but we I would always be like the first one on the phone, the first one booking the shows, the first one trying to get something going and moving. And I think my brain was just like, you need a break, mate, um, from that. And you need to see see what else you can do. And I think that's where I was at. And did that help? Did you manage to find yourself in that time? God, well, we're all still finding ourselves, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, no, I think, yeah, it, it, I needed that break. And I think it, um, it definitely helped. And being away from it and just taking that time. I think after day one, I was like, oh, I'm ready to start again now. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think um, having that break and stuff and I and kind of progressing with my career outside of TFA um, was was a was a was a good move. Um, whether I could have actually juggled both is a yes. Absolutely I could have. But for some reason or another at the time I I didn't think I could. And yeah, no, yeah, I'm I'm glad it happened in some respects. Yeah, and where we are right now is is perfect. So um, for all of us, I think we're all really happy with like TFA's like position right now, and you know how we work it and manage it with because all of us have careers now. So um, how we work it with that, I think we've got it like spot on. So um, so yeah, I, I think it happened. I think it happening was the best thing for everybody. They might not agree with me. Um, best thing for everyone. Whether it could have happened a couple of years later, once we'd really explored the 2020, like the aftermath of the 2020 and, and other stuff more, 100%. I definitely kind of went too soon. Um, but yeah, I think if we look back now, I, I think no one would hate me for it. I hope not. Anyway, after I signed <laughs> the game on the show. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah. But as you said, that, that wasn't the end. You came back. There was a reunion. Yeah. Um, so on my tick list, I keep referring to, um, the one other thing I really had was I really want to um, headline uh, the O2 Academy. So we'd headlined 
O2 Academy 2, the upstairs one in Bristol, with, uh, for people that know it. We played some other ones with 2020 and stuff, and we played a couple of other ones actually with us headlining. Um, and it was amazing. Um, the O2 Academies have always been awesome to us. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I always wanted to um, headline downstairs at Bristol Academy, my hometown. Um, always wanted to do it, and we never did. Um, and then, so I think I was chatting away with like the promoter for O2 Academy, like a couple of years later, you know, TFA kind of gone quiet and stuff. We'd, as I said, we were having that like break or break up. And um, he was like, yeah, why don't you just come, come back and, and do another show? Um, and I was writing music with Simon at the time. I was like in like a side project. And yeah, so I, I was getting like the bug back. Um, and then, yeah, he agreed. So we thought, wait, we can't just go in and do the O2 Academy without like releasing anything. You know, we've been away, we're not big. So we need to like have something new out. So we released a song called Supernova. And a lot happened in those interim years. Who is Hank Hossel? <laughs> you know full well. Um, <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, so when I was doing the whole, you know, discovery time, we'll call it, um, tried a few things out and one of them was was doing a clothing company so that was um how hank hustle was born the name came from i can't remember, i think it was all of us like as a group we like, really wanted to go and go on holiday um and just like be like other people for like a weekend or something so i, I can't I don't think we ever did it but we we were like let's just go abroad somewhere and just pretend that we're um was someone else for the entire time and just have a really good laugh. And we were thinking of names. I think I've sat with you. We were thinking of names. And we were, I was like, oh, I'll just call myself Hank Hossel. <laughs> so just a reminder of a guy slightly overweight with a bit of a beer belly um, in some shorts. And um, for some reason, and then that was, that's where the name come from. But then, yeah, then that developed weirdly into a t-shirt company and then actually once I like I'd done the logo and stuff I was like oh my god like this actually looks really cool and so we did the did that for about about a year and then kind of other life things kind of stopped me investing money into it uh so much of the time but um I'm I'm confident there would be a day it would come back I think so as well I think now yeah I think we should get it going again you hit it here first <laughs> yeah <laughs> So you then made a podcast called Educating Matt. What was that about? Oh, mate, the theme tune. It's all about the theme tune. Um, yeah, no, um, me and another chap called Matt, actually, um, who I'm really good friends with, um, decided one day, let's do a podcast. I, I was living on my own. Um, he was um, bored. <laughs> so <laughs> so we, we did it. And oh God, how do I sum that up? Um, I think it was talking like this really about kind of things that we had done uh, in our lives but what we tried to do is is talk about like what 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 did you learn from that like what could you teach someone else from that happening um and that was why i was educating matt because we were trying to educate the other matt so you know it'd be like a story and and then you'd be like well, what did you learn from, like what advice have you got from that and you know be like well don't eat yellow snow um <laughs> or whatever it may be and then we kind of verge into other things as well so we talk about movies and and things like that and yeah how do like we did one season um which was really good um and that's something that's definitely coming back this year as well so there's another exclusive view whoa all these exclusives they just keep on coming uh, you've also got the tfa christmas song that's happening haven't you 
Oh, I don't know if I can talk about that. Did Dan talk about that? Yeah, um, he did. Yeah, but he didn't give me the title, so I want the title. I uh, can't. I can't give any. No, you have to. I have to wait. Dan, kill me. And your next show is coming up, as I can see on the poster behind you, which is very handy, because <laughs> in case I forgot the date, that's happening on Friday the eighteenth of June, isn't it? At the exchange. Uh, yeah, that is. So hopefully, obviously, with the current world situation, but um. Yeah, that it was meant to be August, I think, uh, maybe September last year. Um, but because of obviously COVID, we've had to move that to June. So yeah, the plan is uh, Friday the 18th of June. Um, fingers crossed, we can all be there safely. Um, if not, I think we're going to try and do something online on the same day. So um, whatever happens, we will do something. I have you got- to just put it on the bloody Spotify. <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> Have you got anything coming up between now and the 18th of June to promote the gig? Any secret unreleased songs? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we're going to do a few things actually, um, starting soon. I think there was actually, we had a pretty decent plan of, of how we wanted to promote like this year, um, like throughout, you know, the first half of this year, but obviously COVID has stopped a lot of that. I think we're going to do quite a few like live videos, um, well, I say live videos, but you know, pre-recorded videos of us playing um, the songs in rehearsal and things like that. But um, COVID has stopped like so much stuff for everyone. Um, so I'm just trying to have a rethink of how we uh, how we are gonna do some stuff. But yeah, we we stumbled across um, uh, a track that we hadn't released that we recorded back in 2011, um, which I think we're gonna. Um, we think we're going to release so uh that'd be really cool i literally i'd forgotten this song even existed what i want to do is um to wrap this all up is a quick one word answer for the words that i'm going to say it's a new feature that i've just invented for this show and you're the first guest that's going to experience it how do you feel about that not very good to be honest (laughs) well they're all quite they're all quite sort of easy sort of questions so you know there's not gonna be anything too hard but we're gonna kick off with back to the future amazing share gorgeous johnny cash epic newcastle (laughs) messy (laughs) billy joe armstrong cool Jenny. Baby. <laughs> Rhodes. Oh, um, adventure. Star-crossed lovers. Deep. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks for being on the podcast, Matt. It's been great speaking to you. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's been awesome. Really big fan of the show and uh, many more to come, I hope. Yes, yeah, many, many more to come. Do you have any final parting words that you want to say? Any words of wisdom? Don't do drugs and have fun. Cool, thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. This is your last chance.